As we enter this holiday season, there's a lot to be excited about, and we are talking about Advent here at Open Life. And um, so the next 30 days is an opportunity for all of us to come together and to really think about what Christmas means, what it's all about. And so that's what we're going to be doing here at Open Life for the next few weeks as we walk through Advent. And so uh, just to start things off, over the next 30 days, what are some of the things that you are looking forward to? You can shout them out if you would like. Anyone. What is it? Giving? God? Did I hear that? Okay. Pie? Yeah? Cheesecake. Okay, so I love this food theme that we're going with and the God theme. That's really good. We're in church. So those are some really good things that we get to really look forward to. But so for maybe some of you, it's a family. I know for when I was a kid, it was gifts. You really look forward to gifts. You want, I, my, I still remember my favorite present was a clear Nintendo Game Boy, and I got Donkey Kong Country on it. And so that was just my, like, I just remember playing it forever after that. And so for me, that was like my one Christmas gift. So maybe for some of you, you're looking to forward to time off work. Maybe you love the Christmas songs. Um, usually I'm not a Christmas song fan, but I, someone tweeted out after the election, they said, if any year I'll allow people to listen to Christmas music early, uh, this is the year to do it, you know, just because everyone's cynical and mad and angry and Christmas songs uplift you. And so, you know, what? I, I'm going to do that. So I started listening to Christmas songs like two weeks ago. And as Danny, my wife, knows, she knows I hate Christmas music usually uh, early. And so it's, it's been an interesting holiday season so far. But maybe you love the cookies, more of that food theme. Maybe you love putting up the tree, hanging up the lights, putting them on your house. This is my first time hanging up house lights on the house this year, and so um, I'm still not finished. Got some ways to go, but it's exciting. It's like um, one of those things that you can always walk into Lowe's or Home Depot and look at the figurines, and you're like, you know, I think I do need that uh, blow-up Darth Vader. It's really going to cap off my... And so like every time you go in there, I want to buy something new and stuff like that. And so there are many things that we anticipate and look forward to that create this anticipation and a sense of energy in us as we approach Christmas. Sometimes I think we go to, I go to every Christmas or every holiday and I think, you know, this is going to be a beautiful moment. This is going to be just a perfect holiday. And so that's a feeling that something special is going to happen. And it just creates that just excitement inside of our hearts and even in our souls as we approach Christmas. And that is what Christmas is all about. We're approaching the arrival of Jesus. That's what we celebrate. And so, but in the midst of some of this anticipation, have you ever experienced disappointment in a past experience, maybe in a holiday season where things just didn't work out the way that you wanted them to? Maybe you didn't get the gift that you wanted that year. Maybe the uh, time with your family wasn't as enjoyable as you were hoping or expecting to during that holiday season. And so you have a lot of expectation, but maybe the outcome didn't deliver upon what you thought it was going to be. And one of my Christmas, well, I don't, I don't want to be rude or anything to my family or a Christmas disappointment disappointments uh, was when I just royally screwed up one Christmas. We, me and my family went to Disneyland for Christmas. It's like everyone's dream because it's beautiful. They play Christmas music 
all day long through the park. It's decorated and it's very festive. And so I remember we got, we flew in and me and my mom got in this argument in the car on the way from the airport. And it just ruined that first night, like, royally. And it was Christmas Eve, and so we had gone out to dinner, and I even walked back to the hotel because I was so mad. I didn't want to ride in the car. And so it's just, uh, my dad's here today, so he's probably laughing um, because I'm probably leaving some details out. Um, And so, um, but anyway, it was, uh, I'll take 50% of the blame in that argument with my mom. And so... But uh, you just get into that, like, moment where it's like it was a disappointment in that moment. Now, the trip turned out to be awesome. We had a great time. It was a great family vacation and trip. And so I'm not, I'm not dogging on that or anything. So it wasn't a disappointment at all. But that one night, that one moment, things did not turn out the way I was anticipating or hoping for. And so, I, but I think anticipation reveals a deep need or a desire in all of us. The fact that we anticipate something shows us that there's something inside of us that we want. There's something inside of us that we need. And so the anticipation that we have is a hope that what is coming is going to fill the need inside of our lives. And so when we're talking about Advent, the word Advent means the arrival of a notable person or thing or event. And so during Advent, we celebrate the arrival of Jesus. We look to the arrival of Jesus as a baby, but we also look to the arrival of Jesus' second coming, as we read in Scripture. And so this is a cool time in history, as ever since Jesus has come and, you know, died on the cross and rose again, there's been this time in history where we celebrate the arrival of Jesus because it means, like, you know, God is with us, like, that song we sang today is a perfect example of Advent because you're basically saying God with us, God is for us, nothing can separate us from the love that God has for us. And that is the hope of Jesus. But we're also waiting for the second coming of Jesus, that second arrival of when he comes back. And so as Christians, Advent takes upon two meanings. We celebrate the arrival that God is with us now, but we also celebrate the arrival when God, when Jesus comes back to set things perfect. And so that's the cool thing about Christmas. That's the cool thing about Advent is that we're focusing on the arrival of Jesus. And so Advent is about the arrival of Jesus in this season of Advent has different themes. And so today's theme that we're going to be talking about and focusing on is hope. We're going to be talking about the hope that is Jesus and what he brings to our lives. And so today the big idea is something that you get to be a part of because it is this. Let hope invade your, and then you get to fill in the blank. Let hope invade your what? What does that mean for you? What do you put in that blank? And so even maybe in your seat right now, if you have the paper, uh, fill in the blank, you'll write something. You need hope to invade. Or if you're on the app and you're doing it digitally, you can fill in the notes. I want hope to invade what? So what are you desperate for? What is it that you're looking and longing for deep inside of yourself, deep inside of your soul, that you want hope to invade and change in your life? Maybe you want hope to invade your marriage. Maybe you want hope to invade your relationship with your kids. 
Maybe as teens, as people younger, maybe you want hope to invade your relationship with your parents. Maybe you're in a place where you say, I want hope to invade my finances, my provision, the things that I need. I need hope to invade my job. I need hope to invade my health. What is the deep longing that you have in your soul that you want hope to invade today? What do you want anticipation and expectation for, for joy and gladness in this holiday season? If anything, if like you could just think of one thing to happen in the next 30 days as we celebrate the coming of Jesus, what do you want hope to invade inside of your life? So as we talk about this, there's an Old Testament prophet named Jeremiah that we're going to look at today. And, you know, this guy, Jeremiah, he did not ask to be a prophet. If you read throughout Jeremiah and you, you see his interactions with God, you see that he was a reluctant prophet. It's something he had to be, like, you know, encouraged to be a prophet for God. And so we're going to pick up a story in Jeremiah 32 where God's people are under siege from the Babylonians and are about to be captured. And so Jeremiah is imprisoned in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace. And then God tells him to tell the people that the Babylonians, Babylonians will capture them and burn down the city. So you could understand why Jeremiah was a little reluctant to be a prophet. You're basically saying, this city is going to burn. And it's like, no one wants to hear that message. No one wants to listen to that prophet. You want to listen to the prophet that says, everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be good. You're doing everything fine. You know, oftentimes when we're looking at prophets, we want prophets to be yes men. You are doing what God is calling you to do. No matter what you're doing, you're in the right place. But we oftentimes don't want the prophets that would call us and say, you know what, things aren't as good as they seem. There's changes that need to be made. And so this is Jeremiah's role in this. And so we read in Jeremiah 32, 32 through 35 this. He says, The sins of Israel and Judah, the sins of the people of Jerusalem, the kings, the officials, the priests, and the prophets have stirred up my anger. So Jeremiah is talking on behalf of God. And he's saying, My people have turned their backs on me and have refused to return. Even though I diligently taught them, they would not receive instruction or, or obey. They have set up their abominable idols right in my own temple, defiling it. They have built pagan shrines to Baal in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, and, they, and there they sacrificed their sons and daughters to Moloch. I have never commanded such a horrible deed. It never even crossed my mind to command such a thing. What incredible evil causing Judah to sin so greatly." So that's the message that God is telling Jeremiah to proclaim. And it's the truth, but it's not what the people want to hear. It's not what the people want to know or understand. But they are, they have, God's just saying, this is what you've done. You've disobeyed me. I've diligently taught you these things. You have a, a history of knowing that I am faithful to my people when they turn to me and look to me for their provision, for their security, and for your strength. But when you turn from me, this is what happens. I would never tell you to worship other gods, but you're doing it anyway. And so thought one today is, in the absence of the hope we long for, we will choose whatever hope is available. In the absence of the hope that we long for, we will choose whatever hope is available. 
And so in those verses we just read, God is grieving over his people. Everyone's turned from him. Even though God taught them and they knew, they did not obey. And so there's a thing that happens then and it happens now when we believe that God has forgotten us. We forget God. We do it our own way. When we feel like God doesn't, isn't looking out for us, then we say, you know what? I'm just going to look out for myself. I'm not going to even acknowledge God. And so we think God can't be trusted. Even when in the, the case of the people group that Jeremiah is speaking to, they know that when they have chosen to follow God, he's been faithful to walk them through their lives. And so they set up altars to other gods, and they turn to these things, and it dishonors God. And so how does this happen in our own lives? Well, we pray, and sometimes what we pray for, it just doesn't happen. And so maybe that puts us in a state of being where we say, you know what, I, I just cannot handle a God that wouldn't grant my prayers. Because my prayers are totally in line with what God says. From our perspective, we often make those prayers, and we lose trust in Him. When we ask the question, what is the deep longing that's inside of us? What is that answer to you? When we ask that question, we have to make a second question and say, what are we putting our hope in? So we not only look at a deep desire inside of us, but we also look at what is going to fill that deep desire. And that's what we put our hope in. And so the first question is a need, and the second is an action that happens in response to the need that we feel deep down inside of who we are. The action of placing our hope into something. So there are a lot of things that we can put our hope into. Our culture is full of things, and they're readily available, and they promote these things that say, put your hope in this. And so for many people, it's money. It's like, if I have the right job, if I make the right amount of money, then I'm going to be okay. That is what I want to put my hope in. I want to put my hope into hard work. For some people, it's possessions. It's like, I want to have the big house, then I'm going to know that I'm secure. I want to have the boat. I want to have the nice car so that people can see that I'm successful. That is how I'm going to fill that need inside of me. For some people, it's status. For some people, it's their emotions. Sometimes these things turn into addictions where we would say, you know what? I can't feel this need inside of myself, so I'm going to do whatever it is, whether it's drugs or sex or anything else. I'm going to fill those things so that I become addicted to them because I just can't get through my life. That is how I'm going to fulfill that need. And so for others, it becomes religion. Religion can be something that we fill a need that is not truly the hope that we want to put our trust in. So in the story we are reading, God's people turn themselves over to terrible things, and we tend to do the same when we don't know what to put our hope in. So what is God's reaction to his people turning their backs on him? It's very interesting because in Jeremiah 33, 6-11, Jeremiah continues. He says, Nevertheless, the time will come when I will heal Jerusalem's wounds and give it prosperity and true peace. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and Israel and rebuild their towns. I will cleanse them of their sins against me and forgive all their sins of rebellion. Then this city will bring me joy, glory, and honor before all the nations of the earth. The people of the world will see all the good I do for my people, and they will tremble with awe at the peace and prosperity I provide for them. 
This is what the Lord says. You have said, this is a desolate land where people and animals have all disappeared. Yet in the empty streets of Jerusalem and Judah's other towns, there will be heard once more. The sounds of joy and laughter. The joyful voices of bridegrooms and brides will be, here, be heard again, along with the joyous songs of people bringing thanksgiving offerings to the Lord. They will sing, Give thanks to the Lord of heaven's armies, for the Lord is good. He is faith, his faithful love endures forever. For I will restore the prosperity of this land to what it was in the past, says the Lord. And so, even though God's people had turned completely from him, God finishes this, like, rebuke, speaking through Jeremiah, and he says, he communicates his love by repeating over and over this phrase, is, I will, I will, I will. I will do this for you. I will do this for you. And he goes on and on because he loves his people. It's all the ways that he is gracious to his people. And so thought number two today is that God promises us hope. God promises hope for us. And so in the midst of this great rebellion, God promises hope to these people. He promises to heal, restore everything that has been lost, bring peace, security, abundance, joy, prosperity, all of that to these people, even though they had turned from him. And so he's not saying that it doesn't mean that bad things are going to happen because of your actions, but he's saying, I am going to be gracious to you. I am going to bring you back to this city and there will be prosperity. I will, I will, I will. And so even when he says that they will be ran far away, that they'll, you know, the, the city's going to burn, he says there will be a time when you will be back. And so that's them, but what about us? Does God have this same I will mentality for us? And the answer is most assuredly yes. Is that God has the same thing that for us, he's, a, he's continually saying, I will, I will, I will. So when we say things, or when we feel like maybe I've turned my back on God, or you might be here at a place where you say, you know what, I'm just not at the right place with God right now. God is knocking on your door saying, I will, I will, I will. I love you, I love you, I love you. I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. And that's the God that we serve. That's the God that we look to. And so, but maybe we have a deep pain in our life that has pushed us far away from God. And maybe we've inflicted that pain onto other people as well. But we still have to turn and understand that God says, I love you. That God has a hope for you. That God will forgive you. That he will heal you. That's the hope that we have. And so God gives his people a powerful promise of hope in the middle of their despair. But he also attaches a symbol to this promise for Jeremiah. He, he uses a symbol to show them the promise that he has. And so throughout the Bible, God gives symbols of hope because, you know, oftentimes we as people forget easily the promises that God has for us. And so uh, this isn't so that God says, you know, now put your hope in these symbols He's not saying that. He's saying, put your hope in me, but here's a symbol to show you that I mean what I say, that I mean my promises, that I'm going to come back true when I say these things. And so we read in Jeremiah, go back to Jeremiah 32, we read that God tells Jeremiah 
that his cousin, it's just this random story, if, if you read the whole sections of Jeremiah 32 and 33, is that God tells Jeremiah that his cousin is going to come and ask him if he wants to buy his land. And basically, if you know the whole story, land that will soon be destroyed, that will soon be demolished. But sure enough, the cousin comes, Jeremiah purchases the land from him, because he knows that it's what God wants him to do. And so this transaction is happening in public. People are seeing what's going on. They're seeing that Jeremiah is purchasing this land, which would be kind of crazy. It's like, why would you do that? But it's to show a symbol to the people. And so this is what God tells Jeremiah to do. He says, the Jeremiah is saying, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. This is Jeremiah 32, 14 through 15. He says, take both this sealed deed and the unsealed copy, basically, you know, the thing that says we've transferred property, and put them into a pottery jar to preserve them for a long time. For this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies, the God of Israel says, someday people will again own property here in this land and will buy and sell houses and vineyards and fields. So this land's about to be overtaken. There's this transaction that happens, and it's like, why would you do that? Why would you sell property that's just going to be demolished and destroyed? It's like, why would you invest your money into that? But God uses the transaction as a symbol of his promise. And so when, he, when Jeremiah puts the deeds inside of the pottery and seals them up, he's basically saying, I'm sealing God's promise and I'm going to put my hope into the promise that God has for me. I'm going to do this because I know that's what God's wanting me to do. As a prophet, as someone who's speaking with God, I'm going to show you that this is the symbol of God's promise, that it is going to come back true. It's not just words. It's a visual promise. And so these jars of clay are customary sealed with pitch, and they last a really long time. If you do research um, on clay jars, that's, this is what archaeologists often study when they're uncovering hidden towns and stuff that are ancient peoples, is because these glass clay jars, they last, or not glass, uh, but these clay jars last a long time. And so it's it's just to show, if you know what the Dead Sea Scrolls are, they were discovered in 1947, and they're just ancient copies of, of literature. And so they're able to see these. They were kept preserved because they were so well kept in these clay jars. And so he's using this as a symbol to say, we are going to put this in something that's going to last forever, and God is going to come back true to his promises. God's creating a symbol for a future return so that his people could find hope during a current but temporary trial. God provides a symbol. He uses Jeremiah to talk about God's judgment, but then he talks about the promise in chapter 33. And so this is back in the second chapter after he's saying, I'm going to do all these things. And he continues on and says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. And so this is where we get to talk about Jesus. Because this is what Jeremiah is pointing directly to. 
This promise that Jeremiah is explaining, that he's speaking on behalf of God, is pointing directly to Jesus. And this is the point of Advent, is that they're waiting for an arrival of someone. They're waiting for the arrival of Jesus. And so this is what we're talking about. This is the arrival. This is the Advent. And so thought number three is that hope is summed up in the person of Jesus. So this story of Jeremiah it goes on, and so it's, and it's interesting because it says those days and at that time, this is going to happen. Don't we wish that God would often speak to us more specifically? Like, in five weeks, this will happen. But he doesn't do that with Jeremiah. He says, in those days and at that time. Because God knows the timing. He knows at just the right time when Jesus needed to come to this scene to bring salvation to all of man. And so he says things like a righteous branch that sprouts from David's line. And so the time of this story, 600 years goes by. 600 years later, the people have returned back to the land. They're trying to rebuild their city. They're trying to rebuild their temple that had been destroyed. And so they remember the symbol because they know that, that God promised this, but when are we going to see that it actually happens? And so now instead of being occupied the Babylonians, they're now occupied by the Romans. And so this is the time of Jesus. This is the time that we're talking about. And so you have to imagine that these people feel overrun. They feel left out. They're still being abused, probably disappointed in the time of their anticipation where they would say, I'm anticipating a Savior, I'm anticipating a Messiah, but right now I feel very disappointed. And so this is where we read in Luke 2, 4 through 7, it says this, And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him, she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. And so it's like at this moment, you just have this huge like, just like a boom moment in the Bible. It's just like all of a sudden, Jesus enters the scene and it's like the arrival is here. Advent is here. The arrival of Jesus has come. And so it's like the fulfillment of all those deeds placed in the jar and sealed up 600 years beforehand have finally come true. Where God said, you will return here. I will forgive you. I will send my son. I will heal, reconcile. I will provide. Jesus fulfills all of those promises. And so when we look at the Christmas season and we zoom in on this baby for that day and that time, we get to look at the life that Jesus lived and take examples for it, for how we live our lives. This is the moment in history where everything swings. Everything changes because Jesus entered the scene. This is our hope. This is what we get to put everything in our lives depending upon is upon the hope of Jesus. And so that's what we're celebrating today in this first week of Advent, is that the hope of Jesus is here. So as we're anticipating, even if we're in a time of disappointment in our lives, we can know and put our trust in the hope of Jesus.
2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9 expands on that. It says, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. We contain the hope of Jesus. Now we are the symbol. We are the fragile jars of clay that the hope of Jesus gets poured into. And we get to live with that light inside of us. We may be pressed, perplexed, hunted down, or even knocked down, but we are never crushed, driven to despair, abandoned by God, nor ever are we destroyed. And so, as an, an example, I, one of my favorite classes in high school was pottery, actually. And so it was like the, one of the coolest things. I have a huge collection of pottery art. If you would like a piece, I've tried to sell it, but no one wanted it. So now if you see something you like, I'm willing to give it to you, you know, as a special present from me. And so maybe that's what I'll do for Christmas this year is just give my old high school pottery. But I got pretty good on the wheel though. And that was my favorite part because there's a lot of skill involved. There's a lot of focus and it's very therapeutic and very restful. Um, you know, because as a high school student, you're just exhausted from all the hard work that you do at school and at home. And if you have a dad who makes you mow the lawn, it's just like messed up, you know. So you got you to gotta like decompress a little bit. And so, but what you do when you learn about this, you're taking basically dirt, something so flimsy, so meaningless, and you're turning it into a work of art something that's solid, something that, you know, it's sturdy. But it has to go through a long process to do this. You got to, you have the right moisture of the dirt to be able to mold it and shape it. And then you have to let it dry out. And so you're not even putting it in a fire. That Then once it's dry, then you put it through the kiln. So then it gets hard. And so then hopefully you want to decorate it and make it look nice. You put a glaze on it and then you put it in the kiln again. And then you come out and then you have this finished piece. But I remember from getting from the beginning to the end, there's this like, okay, like, I can, nothing can touch this because this is a perfect piece of art and I do not want anything to ruin it. Because it, in these stages, it's very fragile. Like, you bump it once when it's, you know, coming off the wheel and then you ruined your whole piece and you have to go back to the beginning. After, you know, you're waiting to put the glaze on it, it's very fragile. You could be easily broken. And you're, you're just like, do not touch my pottery. This is serious. But so what we're seeing is that this, this, in these moments, from beginning to end, it's a very fragile thing. You have to take care of it. You have to mold it and shape it the way that you want it to be. And in this scripture, Paul is saying that you are fragile pieces of, of pottery until you have the power of Jesus in your life who makes you stronger. So that no matter what sort of trial you're going through, no matter what you may, go, you may be going through in your life, you can know that you're not going to be abandoned by God. That you're not going to be, you might be, you might be feel like you're off to the wayside, you're off to the side, but you can know that nothing will ever separate you from the love of Christ. And so that's what Paul's explaining here, is that we, in these moments, 
we feel so fragile and so worn out, maybe through our lives. Maybe we're looking for a job right now and we can't find it. Maybe our relationship with our family, someone, our, our marriage, or our kids, or our parents is just on the rocks. And you might say, where is the hope of Jesus in this? And that's where we have to just say, God, use me. I want your power inside of me to make me steadfast, to make me stronger, to put me through the fire so that I know that I'm stronger coming out on the end. Jesus is the hope that fulfills our anticipation. And so this leads us to our final thought, thought four. The hope of Jesus requires complete surrender. What if the thing that you valued most requires that you surrender everything that you most value. We try oftentimes, and we just say, this relationship with Jesus is just an add-on. You know what? It's just the thing I'm going to add to my life. There's some really great teachings you can learn from the Bible. That's what I love when people are like, oh, I think Jesus is an awesome dude. I totally want to walk like the way Jesus did and live the way that he did. And then they go and do things that are completely opposite. They just like the teaching of Jesus, and that's fine. But that's not a relationship with Jesus. We come to him, maybe, and we need help or direction. But once, you know, we're set or we have that bearing, then it's like, you know what, I got this. It's like when you're riding a bike and you're going up the hill, it's like you wish you had someone just pushing you to the top. And then you're like, oh, I'm good. I can just coast on on down by myself. But that's how we oftentimes treat our relationships with God and with Jesus. And so can I just encourage you with one thing and like a little bit of a math problem that's really not math is that if you had everything, if you just said, I have everything, and then you add Jesus to it, then you really have nothing. But if you have Jesus and you have nothing, that equals everything. Everything plus Jesus equals nothing, but Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So during this Christmas season, as we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, I just want to ask you, where is your focus? Like where, what do you have your eyes set on, your mind set on, your spirit set on, your soul set on? Where do you have your focus as we begin this holiday, this Christmas season. Over the next 30 days, are we focused on the hope that is Jesus? That that's what this season means. It truly means the arrival of hope, the arrival of Jesus. Are we focused on a bunch of things this Christmas season that really have nothing to do with Christ coming to earth? And it happens so easily. There's so much that goes on. Like even we, I disgraced Thanksgiving and went Black Friday shopping at 6 p.m. at Walmart. And I felt like a terrible person doing it. And it's like, because it's like, you're, you're just like, people are going crazy. They're trying to get all these deals. And then I was looking around, there's not even that great of deals. And it's just like, this is so like consumeristic. But I was also looking for a TV. You know, I was like, I wanted a new TV. And so it's like you, you do these things, and we get into this thing where it's like this mentality is when we do it year after year, is like we no longer look to December as a time to celebrate Jesus. We look at December as a time to go shopping 
or a time to get stressed, or a time to get mad at our family, or a time to put the lights upon and impress everyone with how good we are at decorating. And it's like all these things that have nothing to do with Christ coming to earth. And so this Christmas season, as we celebrate Advent, and as we celebrate these four themes over the next four weeks, I just want to encourage you without sounding like, break everything down. I'm not saying let's be, you know, anarchists and, you know, get rid of consumerism, but really focus in on who Jesus is and what it means. So, like, when you look into the eyes of your loved ones, maybe it's your wife or your kids, maybe it's a coworker, that you could look into their eyes and say, this Christmas, I want you to have the true hope of Jesus in your life. Like, I want you to know the hope that I have for my life. And so this time can be a hard time in our lives. If we've lost someone in our lives, if we're going through a hard time that we might be going through. And so I think what can get us over the hump if we're in this time of like, you know, I'm just not really feeling it this year, is that Christmas isn't about all the songs. It isn't about all of the decorations. It's not about all those maybe memories that you had, good or bad, about Christmas. But Christmas this year can be totally about the hope of Jesus for your life. And so for you, maybe that today is something you say, that is something worth anticipating. That's something worth putting my hope into. That's something where I don't have to leave disappointed because I had a bad Christmas a few years ago and I've never been the same since. And so as we celebrate this Advent season, may we be people that truly focus on the love and the power of Christ. And so the final question today, kind of our action point, is what area of your life do you need to surrender to Jesus? And so as we deal with those things, as we talk about this season of Christmas, and as we look at our lives, are you more of on the side of everything plus Jesus equals nothing, or are you on the side of Jesus plus nothing equals everything? So as we think about that, as we pray today, I just ask that you focus, God, what do you want me to surrender this year so I can know and see the hope of Jesus better this Christmas? During these next 30 days, as we approach Christmas Day, is like, what do you want to show me? What do you want to do in my life, in the lives of my family, in the lives of my coworkers? Whatever it is, be challenged by God today as you pray. So God, we come before you and we just say, number one, thank you for your arrival on earth. Thank you for being God with us. Thank you for coming to meet the needs of people, coming to bring salvation to our lives, God. And I pray for anyone who's here who's never made the step to to truly follow you. I pray, Lord, that they make the day just by simply praying right now, God, I surrender to you. I want to follow you and help me do this. God, we also pray for the people that, that might be following you but have some things that they need to surrender to you that say, you know what, I've been holding this higher than I've been holding you. 
And God, we pray for those people as well, that they would have the courage, the faithfulness, the boldness to give up those things, even if it means looking weird to their families and just saying, you know what, this is something I need to give up this year. Yeah, and I pray, Lord, that you would just give us the hope that fulfills our deepest desires and needs, that we wouldn't look for those things in other places, but we'd always continually come back to you to find our reassurance, to find our favor, to find our status. God, if there's people here dealing with health issues, God, I pray that you would bring healing to them in the name of Jesus. I pray for people that are looking for jobs. I pray, Lord, that they would find the hope and the sustainability in their lives that you have for them. God, for provision in their lives. God, I pray for people that just are not feeling the Christmas season this year. And I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them to know that you are the Christmas season. It's always something worth getting excited about. And so, God, may we choose to just love you better and in turn love others better as well, God. So that's our prayer today. We ask it in your name. Amen.